Hello, everyone, and welcome to the True Blue Crime Podcast. My name is Dan, and as always, I will be your host for this episode. Now, this is episode seven, and I just want to thank everybody who's stuck with me as I've gone through this learning process of researching, writing, recording, and editing these podcasts. It's been less than a week, and I've learned a lot in regards to the process and putting together these episodes and I hope to continue to learn and just keep making this podcast better. So if you haven't done, already done so, check out the previous episodes of True Blue Crime on all podcast platforms. I did just recently release these podcasts onto Stitcher and Pandora. So depending on how you want to listen to it, I think I have all of the platforms covered. If there isn't a platform covered, I will be supplying my contact information here shortly. Please let me know if there is a platform and I will try to get it onto that platform. You may see on several platforms an older version of True Blue Crime. This was done by an Australian duo and despite the fact that I spent several years of my childhood in Australia, I have no affiliation to that podcast and they stopped production a couple years ago. So. There should only be one True Blue Crime podcast that's out there currently producing episodes, and that would be mine. But if you would like to get updates about what the podcast is up to, please like and follow the True Blue Crime Productions Facebook page. More information can be found at the show's website at truebluecrimeproductions.com. And if you'd like to email me directly, my email is truebluecrimeproductions at gmail.com. Finally, if you can, please support the show via Patreon. Any donation level helps, and it will ensure that I can keep making free episodes of the podcast and expand the podcast in the future. Any donations will receive a shout-out in a future podcast and a thank-you message from the host. Also, for no cost at all, please rate and review the show on whatever platform you're listening to it on. It helps immensely, and I appreciate everyone's time and consideration on this matter. So... Without any further ado, let's dive into this episode of True Blue Crime. So this is going to be episode 7, and it's going to be the Watts family murder. Uh, I don't have a disclaimer at this point at the beginning of my episodes. I don't feel that I venture into the area of gore or explicit language enough to do so. However, this episode is or sorry, does involve crimes against children. So I will just put a disclaimer out there that if that is something that is difficult for you to listen to, uh, just know that I will, I, I won't be going into details, but I will be talking about some crimes committed against children. So just a little disclaimer there, listeners, discretion is advised if you feel you're going to have an issue. So we're going to talk about the Watts family murders and... When I started getting into podcasting, I thought I could just create a template and just cover every crime based off that template, uh, fill it in with the research and, and present the case the same way every time. But I'm, I'm finding that with every crime that I cover, uh, I need to approach it differently, whether it be the research, the writing, or the presentation of it. So I'm going to... apply the what I believe to be the appropriate presentation to each of these episodes so that 
in a way that I feel that will provide the best listener experience. So in this case, this is one of those cases that is so that was so popular. I mean, there's several documentaries out about it. There's, uh, you know, it, it dominated the news cycle when this story first broke. So I felt the best way to, to present it was to just to dive straight into it. I'm not going to hide any information. I believe most people know the outcome and who's responsible for this. So there really isn't a mystery per se, but I did want to present it in a way so that it's easy for everybody to follow along. Also, as what I try to do with each podcast is compile as much research as I can about the episode through various different websites and police reports and uh, anything that I can find out there and get it into a format that is easy for the listener to understand and get as much information as possible. I find some great articles out there that will cover one aspect of the crime or the investigation and then a different article will cover a completely different aspect of the investigation and I try to compile all those together until it's until I have as much as I can and in this case actually there was so much information out there and there'll be a couple times where I might mention that different sources state different things and I'm going to do my best to just present it in kind of a neutral way when when that happens. This also may end up being a two-part episode. I don't know at the time of recording if it's going to be a two-part. It's either going to be a very long one-part episode or I'll break it up into two smaller parts. But anyway... Um, we're going to talk about the case of the Watts family murders. This crime occurred on August 13th of 2018, so about five years ago from the time that this podcast was recorded. And the location of this crime is going to be Frederick, Colorado. The victims in this case are going to be Shanann Watts. Shanann was born January 10th of 1984. And her daughters, Bella Watts, was born December 17th. 2013, and Celeste, or as they called her, C.C. Watts, on July 17th of 2015. And then Shanann was pregnant with a, a baby boy that she was going to call Nico Watts at the time of the murder. The suspect in this case is going to be Christopher Lee Watts, who was born May 16th, 1985. So the timeline of events... I'm just going to cover what initially broke in the news because this is what captivated everyone, caught everybody's attention, and then we'll dive a little bit deeper into the Watts family and what exactly happened here. So on August 13th of 2018, Shanann returns from a business trip at 1.48 in the morning and is given a ride home from the airport by a friend who is identified as Nicole Atkinson. Now there's going to be a couple Nicoles in this case, so I'm going to refer to her as Atkinson from now on. Um, 
And Cole dro- or sorry, Atkinson drops Shanann off at her house in these early morning hours. There's actually going to be some surveillance video that comes into play later in this case that, that verifies that Shanann arrived home at this time. Uh, Chris would... Uh, her husband, the father of the children, Chris, is home with the two daughters, Bella and Cece, at this time. And then the next morning, Atkinson can't reach Shanann by phone or text. Shanann misses an OBGYN appointment. As I mentioned earlier, she was pregnant at the time of the murder, and she misses a work meeting. So Atkinson is concerned. She drives to the Watts residence around 12.10, so a little after noon, and there's no answer at the door. Uh, This causes her to call uh, Chris, who was at work at the time, Chris tells Atkinson that Shanann took the kids to a friend's house for a play date, but Atkinson says she can see Shanann's car in the garage. Atkinson feels there's absolutely something not right here, so she contacts the Frederick Police Department. Frederick Police Department come out around 1.40 to do a check the welfare on Shanann and the kids. By this time, Chris has returned to the house. He actually asked, uh, it was Atkinson or a different friend that was with Atkinson, not to contact the police, that he would figure out what's going on when he got home but they were too concerned and didn't did not listen to christopher now i will tell you these check the welfares is this is a very common call for patrol officers to conduct in any size department basically if anyone for any reason feels that another person might be in danger or isn't responding officers will likely respond to the residents to do what's called this check welfare now this can be for a variety of reasons it can be because the person is elderly and you know hasn't answered the phone uh, newspapers magazines piling up outside the door of somebody with health issues and in those cases sometimes it can be due to the fact that the party inside is either having a medical emergency or has fallen and needs help and can't get to the phone or has unfortunately deceased. In these cases, it's a little more tricky. You do sometimes get check the welfares that are results of a third party that is concerned about something that was said in a text message or over the phone or via social media or something along those lines and that enters into a whole another area like we talked about in the superbike murders where people have a right to say certain things or act a certain way it's not illegal for somebody to say that something to the effect of goodbye world on Facebook. However, if it rises or it raises somebody else's concern level to the point that the police are contacted, the police will at the bare minimum usually go out and try to make contact with this individual. Now they don't have a legal ground unless there's more evidence that that person is a danger to themselves to enforce any action in those instances 
uh, in those circumstances. But in cases like this one, it, it, again, it enters into that gray area. You've got a friend of a adult woman who has two children and is in a marriage that by all accounts at this time is intact to, uh, to Chris Watts and she's calling in a check welfare. Now, as we're going to find out, this is problematic to Chris Watts. However, from just an initial look at it without any further information, it's hard to force any action at this point by the police department, except for what they're going to find when the police arrive at the house. But just, I'm talking just on the surface level, when the police are initially contacted, a third party is calling to say that a woman and her children are missing. The husband slash father does not want the police involved, and, and he is telling the friend that she just went took the kids for a play date with another friend now if the circumstances were different and Shanann's car was missing along with her personal belongings and, and some stuff belonging to the girls I don't know that the police would have done anything with this I don't know if they would have even taken taken a missing persons report right away because you have the husband saying she's fine she's just at a friend's house she's just not answering her phone however when police do arrive they are going to find that shenan's car is in the garage that her uh, purse is in the in the house that her children's medic uh the, the, sorry, the children's car seats are in her car and one uh, and cc was a had some severe allergies and had and Shanann would not take her anywhere without her EpiPen and that was left in the house. So now with these circumstances in play, now police are going to be concerned as this does not seem to be a woman who just took her kids to a play date because she didn't take her vehicle, her purse with her keys the children's car seats to get there or the children's medication. So now things are going to start to ramp up in terms of the missing persons investigation. They're going to very soon locate Shanann's phone in the couch cushions and her wedding ring on the nightstand in the bedroom. So by all accounts, it just appears as if Shanann and the girls just disappeared without any explanation as to where they would have gone or how, why they would have left these items behind. So initially, Chris's response to the police is that he left for work at around 5.15 a.m. and he has not seen, or uh, sorry, that he had not seen Shanann and the kids since he left for work. That same security footage that showed Shanann arriving home from the airport is going to continue to be problematic for Chris as officers and investigators looked at the security footage. It as I said before, clearly showed Shanann arriving home around 148, 
but then shows that the only activity leaving the house was Chris and his work truck around the time that Chris that, that he left. So while this confirms part of Chris's story, it does not explain how suddenly Shanann and the girls are not in the house anymore because there is no evidence after 5.15 a.m. that the girls or Shanann left that house on the video. So, and I watched the video, it's, it's I don't know if it's some type of external camera or a door cam or something. It's not on the Watts' residence, it's next door, but part of very upper left corner of the video captures the activity in the Watts' driveway. So that's how they're able to see when they see movement there, it's very clear what they're seeing in the movement, whether it be Shanann being dropped off or Chris leaving in the morning. And there's it definitely covers enough that it would have seen anybody leaving after 5.15 in the morning. So I guess now is the appropriate time to go back and explore Chris Watts and Shanann Watts and how we got to this point. So. The Watts family is going to begin in 2010, so eight years before the murders. Uh, Shanann and Christopher meet via Facebook request that was sent from Chris to Shanann. And I read somewhere it was a setup attempt by uh, Chris's cousin's ex-wife. So uh, kind of one of those, somebody playing matchmaker, Chris gets a hold of Shanann via Facebook. Shanann accepts his friend request even though she doesn't know who he is and she figures they're never going to meet. Um, she does accept, or she Chris ends up asking her out on a date. They meet up, and I did find this kind of funny. I figure I'd bring some light humor into, into the story. I guess on their first date, Shanann invites Chris to a theater, and he assumes it's a movie theater, so he shows up for this date in shorts and tennis shoes, and apparently it was a fancy style theater and so fancy that the doorman there's a there is a doorman and he's dressed in a tux and everybody's sipping champagne and there's chris in his shorts and tennis shoes so a little bit of a mis mismatch from the beginning uh, he claims he eats like a bird on this date because he is so nervous to be on a date with shanann and later she assumes that he just eats like a bird all the time but upon meeting his family when Shanann mentions this they tell her that Chris does never eats like a bird he's basically a garbage disposal so there's obviously some nervousness going on kind of some of those first date jitters and and everything and and it's also important to note that Shanann was battling lupus at this time so she's on a lot of different medications she's dealing with this terrible disease and Initially, she tells Chris that he isn't her type, and she's not sure that it's going to work out, but Chris is persistent, and he's helping her with her medications. I guess she needed a ride about two months into the relationship to a colonoscopy, and he not only gave her a ride, but kind of stayed with her throughout uh, the procedure, and I, I guess as a result, won her affection. As she later stated, if he's going to stick with me through this, he's going to stick with me through a lot. I guess Chris's parents from the very beginning weren't huge fans of Shanann. 
and this kind of goes back to a couple things. I guess one, Chris was the baby of the family, and the baby babies of any families tend to be protected a little bit more by their parents. And I guess they felt that Shanann always had too rich of taste in items and was too uh, domineering in the relationship. So there's going to be some family issues very early on. Chris also hadn't dated a lot. He never had a girlfriend in high school because he was just shy and kind of didn't put himself out there. And so he goes from having just a few basically flings after high school and t and then falling quickly head over heels for Shanann. So the family kind of had the reservations, kind of wished that he had pumped the brakes a little bit during the start of the relationship, but this is going to continue to cause a wedge between uh, Chris and his family and Shanann. And this is one of those relationships where family dynamics are going to really play a role in the relationships amongst everyone. And in this case, from what I could tell, and I, I'll put a disclaimer right here. This is, this is where I'm going to say there's going to be times in this podcast that based on my research, I'm going to make some uh, observations in regards to the, uh, Chris and Shanann's relationship. And I don't mean in any way whatsoever to blame any of what is going to happen on Shanann. That's not the intent of this at all. It's There are going to be times, however, that I'm going to question if things could have been handled differently by all parties involved. And again, that's not to say in any way, shape, or form that Shanann is to blame for what is going to happen. I just as I did the research, there was times I kind of took a step back and just said, maybe things could have been different if everything had been handled differently. So we'll discuss that as we go on. But basically, in Thanksgiving of 2011, so a year after that, that Shanann and Christopher start dating, they fly to Colorado for Thanksgiving to spend some time with friends. They fall in love with Colorado and they, they had previously been in North Carolina before this. So they fly out to Colorado, fall in love with Colorado, decide that this is where they're going to move and start their family. So in April of 2012, they moved to Colorado. And this is while I assume that they're engaged because they're going to get married in November back in North Carolina. Now, between the issues that I already brought up with Shanann and Chris's family, and then this move to Colorado, which Chris's family is going to blame Shanann for moving Chris away from them. This is all going to come to a head just before the wedding. It's a couple weeks before the wedding, and I think I said the wedding's going to be back in North Carolina, that there was a, a major falling out between Chris's family and Shanann and Chris. In a later interview, Chris first stated that 
his niece and nephew wanted to be in the wedding as a ring bearer and flower girl and, and Chris's sister wanted this to happen and at first Chris said that Shanann had said no and then later on he wasn't sure if it was his sister who had withdrawn the children from being in the wedding but basically two weeks before the wedding there's this massive blow up between the families and as a result Chris's parents and his sister and her family do not show up to Chris and Shanann's wedding in fact the only person from Chris's family from Chris's immediate family that shows up to the wedding is his grandmother so he does his groom and mother dance with Shanann's mom and he would say later on as the years passed that he would look back on the wedding photos that were hanging in the house or in or around and see that his family wasn't there and it, it always hurt him that they didn't show up Regardless, they're married, they're back in Colorado now, and in 2013, they're going to have their first daughter, and this is going to be Belle. Uh, sorry, Bella. And she's born at the end of 2013, and shortly after, in 2015, uh, Cece's going to be born. So they're going to have two kids separated by... A year and a half which is going to put a lot of stress on any marriage and on any financials so here's kind of the first crack that shows in this quote-unquote perfect family is the Watts filed for bankruptcy in 2015 from what I read online they had a combined income of roughly $90,000 however they're paying $3,000 a month in mortgage and $600 a month in, in a car payment so of their roughly $5,000 that they, or just shy of $5,000 that they take home each month, over two thirds of this is being eaten up by just mortgage obligations and car payments. And that's not to account for all the costs associated with raising, you know, two small children include diapers and and clothing and all that kind of stuff so pretty quickly they have run out of money and again this is not to question what uh, either party in terms of decision making or anything along those lines but there was an issue between Shanann or between Chris's family and Shanann in regards to her wanting fancy things I think Chris's mom once mentioned that she didn't need as big of a wedding ring as she got or that you know she as a wife wouldn't have needed as big of a wedding ring as the one that Shanann got so that was back when all the turmoil was happening between between the families but it's, it's highly possible they're a young family they're living in a very expensive area of Colorado they just spent beyond their means and they end up filing for bankruptcy in 2015 Apparently, it was also a pretty extravagant wedding, and most of the wedding was put onto credit cards that they couldn't afford to pay off. So the interest rate on the credit cards combined with 
having no money left over at the end of the month just to pay the living expenses they currently have, all of that came together to create a lot of financial stress on them. So while a lot there isn't a lot out there in regards to their life between filing for bankruptcy and this incident in 2018, I can only assume that, again, raising two small children, going through a bankruptcy, the financial troubles that they're having, that things were stressful to say the least. But in 2018, it's all going to kind of culminate here and we're going to start we're going to go back to back to may uh the, this crime again occurred in august but we're going to go back to may to just kind of follow along so on may 5th shanann posts a facebook live video about how great life is for the family and this is a chance for me to take a sidebar and talk about social media as a whole i know i've talked about it before in regards to you know how people seem to be obsessed with that and instead of helping people uh, streaming Facebook live videos instead of providing emergency aid whatever it may be but from what I can tell in the research Shanann definitely appeared to be somebody that liked to put the family out there on social media and not that there's anything wrong with this on the surface level if you want to do that I'm not saying there's anything illegal or immoral about it but oftentimes, it appears the people that do this are either hiding some stuff that's going on inside of the house and they're using this as an outlet to trick people, or it's a deep-seated obsession that they have with trying to project to the world a certain image of what their life is like and again, I, I'm not saying that people who do this are bad people. I'm just saying it tends to lend people towards the fact that this is a type of person that has a need for attention, a need to have the world see them, and can be an indicator of somebody who is somewhat controlling or, or, or domineering. This will also come up later in some of the business practices that Shanann has for her, her sales products. Now, as I mentioned, May 5th was when Shanann posted that Facebook Live video about how great life is for the family. Less than a month later, June 4th, Chris is on a work site. He works for a oil petroleum company that has these uh, work sites around the, the area, around Frederick, Colorado. And these, these sites, I'm guessing from what I could tell in the research, they pump out oil or natural resources from the ground. And there was an issue with one of the uh, work sites. And Chris responds, and this woman, who's going to be later identified as Nicole Kessinger, is also on the site that day. Nicole mainly works in the office, and Chris would later say that he would see her from time to time when he was working out of the office, but this is the first time they had any conversation amongst each other. 
Now, a week later, which is going to be June 11th, Shanann's going to post a Facebook video showing her surprising Christopher with a shirt. Her shirt says, oops, we did it again, which is her pregnancy announcement to Chris that she's pregnant with, a, with their third child. Three days later, on June 14th, investigators are going to later find that Chris puts Nicole's information into his phone. And then on June 15th, Chris seeks out Nicole in her office one day to talk to her. He tells her that he's married but plans to separate with his wife. Two days later, it's Father's Day, and Shanann publicly wishes Christopher a happy Father's Day, saying they're lucky to have him, and he's the reason she was brave enough to agree to number three. Now, later on, Shanann's going to complain that Chris doesn't want a third child or is at least scared of a third child. So this post seems to contradict that by saying that he's the reason she was brave enough to agree to number three. So it seems as if he's the one that wants the, the third child. So a little confusing there, different sources, and maybe it's something where he at one point wanted a third child and then he meets this Nicole and now he's not so sure. The very next day it's reported that Chris and Nicole agreed to have their first meeting outside the office later that month. So from the sounds of it between June 4th when they met on the work site and two week and then the following two weeks there's been a lot more contact and flirting and stuff between the two of them. He's told her that he's separating from his wife and they're agreeing to go on their first date. The very next day after Chris and Nicole agree to go on their first date, Shanann has a scheduled ultrasound. This is the ultrasound in which they're going to find the gender of the baby. And Shanann wants to do a gender reveal. She would later text, or later that day, she would text a friend of hers saying that when she squeezed Chris's hand during the ultrasound, he did not squeeze her hand back and it was like he wasn't there. She decides to cancel the, cancel the gender review part, uh, the gender reveal party and plans instead of just having her friend tell her the gender of the baby. A few days later, they take a trip to San Diego. On this trip, Chris is going to talk with his best friend, Mark, and he's later going to say that he wished he had told Mark about what was going on between him and Nicole and Shanann because he felt like Mark would have been a voice of reason for him and may have talked him out of going down the road that he did with Nicole. Now, I didn't find a lot of information about what occurred after they got back from that trip to San Diego. However, what I do know is that shortly after that, in early July of 2018, Shanann leaves with the girls for a pre-planned five-week trip back to North Carolina. So. They're both from the North Carolina area, so this is a trip home for Shanann and the girls to see 
both sets of grandparents see the the girls see their cousins and the plan is that Shanann's going to be out there for four weeks and then Chris is going to come out and join them for the last week of the five-week trip. So now Chris, for the entire month of July, is back home in Frederick, Colorado with no kids and Shanann is not around. So this is going to propel the relationship with Nicole quite a bit. Their first official date is known to be the 4th of July. Nicole originally said on this date they just had lunch and he left, but Chris makes claims that he actually had spent the night before, so July 3rd into the 4th, at Nicole's house. And he's going to wake up to a whole bunch of missed calls and texts from Shanann the next morning. Now, Chris normally had to get up very early and he would work out, which is also going to be an issue we'll talk about down the road here, but he would work out and then he would go to the go to work very early in the morning. So it was not atypical for him to be up very early in the morning, but Shanann sends or, or is trying to make phone calls from the girls to Chris on the morning of the 4th of July. Now, she's... Or, Later, it would be revealed these calls are at 7.30 in the morning, which would be Eastern time. The girls are up and going about their day. But due to the time difference, this is now 5.30 in the morning, Colorado time. So when Chris finally does call Shanann back, she's asking him where he's been, why he's not answering his phone. He's trying to explain that it was 5.30 in the morning and he doesn't normally get holidays off and or the ability to sleep in very often so he was trying to sleep in I mean in reality we now know that he was at Nicole's house and that's the reason he was sleeping in and not answering his phone but this is actually going to cause more issues between Chris and Nicole that day as Nicole becomes upset that he's talking to Shanann and tells Chris to leave because she doesn't want to be the other woman now Chris is going to leave for that day, but according to him, Nicole is going to contact him after she goes, I believe it was to a baseball game or something along those lines, and he's going to come back over uh, for the evening. By July 10th, Shanann is starting to suspect something, so she's confronting Chris over text message about his lack of attention to her. He claims back in his text message that it's work-related, that he's got this crew that he's, that's stressing him out, the work stuff is stressing him out. This is where it comes up from Shanann that all he wants to do is work out and work, and he's not giving her any attention. Chris is telling her that the workouts that he does are to relieve his stress and allow him to you know, function in his life. So it's, it's very clear that there's a disconnect going on. And now we know that he's having this affair with Nicole. Shanann suspects it but doesn't know. And Chris is caught in by his own hand in the middle of all of this. On July 14th, Chris and Nicole go to a go to a date at a museum. Now I read later that they were supposed to go to a date at a movie theater and the movie was sold out. 
and instead Nicole suggests they go to this some type of a car museum and Chris likes cars and he would later say that this is something that would never happen with Shanann that she wouldn't ever want to do anything that he wanted to do so again Chris is falling hard for Nicole while his wife and kids are in North Carolina. On July 18th, it's going to come out during the investigation that Nicole is sending sexual photos of herself to Christopher, which he is storing on a secret app on his phone. It was later revealed he was able to hide a lot of the affair from Shanann because he was using, he had a work phone and a personal phone and he would be doing all of his texting and calling Nicole over the work phone. But when it came to things like uh, these pictures and whatnot, he needed to store those off of his work phone. So he got a secret app for his personal phone. Now, the next day, or roughly around here, I, I couldn't find an exact date, but a lot of places pinned it around July 19th. There's going to be an incident at Chris's parents' house that's going to create a lot more issues. So if you remember, Chris's family does not get along well with Shanann, but after this move out to Colorado and the fact that the grandparents don't see the kids much, it's clear that Shanann had made some plans to allow Chris's parents to spend some time with, with their grandchildren and with her while she's out on this five-week trip in North Carolina. I read a variety of different stories about how this went down, but apparently we've mentioned that Cece had a, a severe nut allergy. Uh, Chris would later say that she never had a breathing emergency related to allergies but the two times that she was exposed to nuts she broke out in a full body rash that was apparently pretty difficult and uncomfortable for her and they never obviously wanted it to get to a point where she would have a, a anaphylactic issue uh, from the from the nuts so She's the or the kids and Shanann are at Chris's parents' house, and the most popular version of the story that I found was that the nephews, or sorry, the niece and nephew, the cousins of Bella and Cece, are at Grandpa and Grandma's house quite a bit, at Chris's parents' house quite a bit. So they know where all the stuff in the kitchen is, and this is summer in South Carolina so I'm assuming it's hot and they want to have some ice cream so they go to grandpa and grandma's freezer and get out a um, container of pistachio ice cream the the two versions of the story one is that the cousins were eating it and Cece just happened to be sitting by them there's another version of the story where Cece was actually served a bowl of this and but since there wasn't any mention of a medical situation, I don't know if it was caught before she ate it or something, but Shanann at some point either notices or, or hears about 
this uh, about what is going on and she absolutely loses it and gets into a blow-up argument with Chris's parents about CC and the nut allergy now this is going to be later referred to by Chris as Nutgate and he's going to call it that because this is going to create a situation where Shanann wants Chris to cut off all ties to his family. She leaves the family that day and now she wants nothing else to do with Chris's parents. Now there again are several versions of the story. During the blow up the most popular version was that Chris's mother made some made some remarks about the allergies and and kids and how it, they were maybe it was being overblown or something along those lines which didn't do anything to help the issues that were going on but clearly there's now this gigantic rift between Shanann and Chris's parents and and Chris is caught in the middle of it but he's still back in Colorado and he's hanging out with Nicole so There's going to be a series of texts released in which Shanann is complaining to Chris because he's not supporting her, and it, it is something very difficult. I mean, dealing with fi family dynamics of any level is hard enough, but to deal with the family dynamics by distance, that adds issues there, and then on top of it, by his own choosing, he's also having this affair and as a result ignoring certain aspects of his relationship with his wife and I think the stress of all of that you know she's pregnant and she's out there I guess trying to build a bridge with Chris's parents and that completely blows up and in the meantime he's not picking up his phone a lot he's not answering her texts and he's not saying anything you know anything that would lead her to believe that you know he misses her or the girls or anything so clearly she can tell something's not right she's under a lot of stress and it, it none of what is happening is helping in this, helping the situation at all so so this is go, this goes on for you know a couple weeks and eventually on July 28th Nicole and Chris are going to spend a night together in the Great Sand Dunes National Park. And this is going to be, by all accounts, their last physical time together that I can find. Because on July 30th, he's going to give Nicole a love note. It's a, it's a love card of some sort with you know Hallmark writing inside and some personalized stuff that he says to her. And then he's going to go join his family in North Carolina. On July 31st, he's, it's already, there's already text messages out there between Shanann and her friends that the reunion is not going to go well. Uh, the family issues that caused the big rift uh, are continuing, and she's wanting, even though Chris is back in North Carolina and wants to see his parents and whatnot, she's, she's telling him that he can't see them and that they're not going to make any arrangements to spend time with for him to spend time with his family. Uh, 
it did say at one point that he did go visit his grandmother in the nursing home and then from there i think his father picked him up and they went and hung out and i saw in some places where he told his father that he wasn't happy in the in the marriage i don't know that i ever got to the point that he confessed that he was seeing someone else or considering it or or anything along those lines but i think chris's family could definitely tell that he wasn't happy in the marriage And I think they probably felt as if Shanann was purposely driving this wedge between them. Ultimately, this trip is going to end with Shanann telling her friends that Christopher has changed. He doesn't kiss her, he doesn't touch her, and he doesn't you know, communicate with her unless she's the one that initiates the conversation. Now on August 8th, Chris is going to delete his Facebook page, and this is a result of Nicole's friends playing, you know, friend detective and looking him up on Facebook and connecting all the times that Shanann had uh, tagged him in photos and whatnot, especially the ones where they're expecting a baby and... You know, they have this great life together. So all that stuff that Shanann is posting back in May and June, right before and during the the initial part of Chris and Nicole's uh, relationship is going to raise some serious red flags. And, and Nicole had to be also somewhat concerned in the fact that she's dating a guy who has who is married and has kids and is making claims that, you know, him and his wife are separating, but... I think just that situation alone is going to cause some of Nicole's friends to have the desire to, to figure out what's going on with this guy and try to protect their friend to a certain degree. And it sounds like that's what was going on here and that Nicole confronted Chris about you know, these recent Facebook posts about being together and being happy and being pregnant. Uh, I don't think she even knew up to this point that Shanann was, was pregnant and expecting. And it said somewhere that Chris initially denied that the child was his to Nicole, but then eventually did tell her that it was his child. And again, these are very difficult waters to navigate with everything that's going on. And it's, it's just going to continue to get worse in the relationship. August 9th, Shanann's telling friends that Chris is cold to her, he refused to have sex with her, and he refuses to go to counseling. So by all accounts, I have to imagine that Shanann is at this point feeling like Chris has already left the marriage. She is, again, giving her no attention. He's giving her no signs that he's interested in her at all and no signs that he wants to try to fix anything that Shanann sees as not working in their relationship. So their busy life continues. The same day she's gonna leave for a business, business trip, so it's August 9th, and she tells a friend of hers that Chris and her talked and it seems like he's somewhat back to normal. Apparently, at least he was listening to her, was maybe a little affectionate towards her. But she's also going to be going on this trip, so I don't know if he's just uh, 
you know, trying to buy himself a little favor or something like that, knowing that he's going to have the freedom to do what he wants to do for the next few days. Now, Shanann is not taking the girls, so he's still going to be responsible for that. And I think this is going to be a good spot to pause, and we'll come back with what is going to happen after Shanann returns from her trip, because that is going to be the horrible series of crimes that is the main reason this case took off the way it did in the media. And then we'll break down the investigation, talk about the crime scenes, talk about who Chris Watts is himself, talk about his confessions, what he originally said that he did, what he ultimately confessed to actually doing, the uh, sentencing hearings, and a few other points. So the next episode will probably be a, a shorter episode than this one, but I just feel like there's still too much to cover and try to fit within that hour time frame I try to aim for. So, so I'm not gonna finish up this episode today. Please stay tuned for episode two of the Watts Family. The good news is I have it recorded, or sorry, I have it researched and so it'll just be a matter of recording and edit, editing it out. So I should have it out very soon. So as I end all my episodes, I want to say thank you for listening. Stay tuned for future episodes to include part two to the, the Watts family. And feel free to write me at TrueBlueCrimeProductions at gmail.com or find me on Facebook and support me on Patreon if you can. So. That's it for part one. I'll see you guys soon for part two. Have a great day. Talk to you later. Bye.